Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our lives are full of symbols, things that mean something to us, things that give us a sense of stability, a sense of direction and constancy in life. I tried to think of some examples, and a good example, I think, is a house, for instance. A house where, say, everyone gathers for Thanksgiving or other holidays. A house to which you can return, no matter where you've been. A house to which you can go, no matter how long you've been away. The house where you grew up, for instance. The house where your folks lived. A house that is a landmark, not just on a map, but also in your heart. Maybe you have a house like that in your life, or maybe you did but now it's gone. It stood for something. And as long as it was there, you had a point of reference, a point in time and space, and you could measure everything from that. It was a sign that everything was going okay. Or maybe it's some event, some routine that you have in your life, some regular thing that you do. I was just reminded of a weekly card game that I played with some friends in college. We'd get together every week and play Sheep's head. The best times were those times when nobody had to ask whether we were going to play or not. It was something you could count on, something reliable and steady. As long as that game happened, you felt like everything was okay. It was a sign that everything was going according to plan. And when the game didn't happen, it wasn't just missing out on a fun evening. It was disorienting. And it made you think about how all good things eventually come to an end. And then, of course, there are the people in our lives, the people who hold things together for us, the people who have always been there, the people you can count on, the people you lean on. As long as they're there, you know who you are, and you know where to go when you need help. And you could never imagine life without them. They are your beloved but they also stand for something. They capture all kinds of meaning in your life. They symbolize stability. That's why folks can say that another person is a rock for them. They're a sign that somewhere under the waves and the rushing water there is some solid ground. For the people of Israel, the temple, the temple was a symbol like that. It was a sign of God's favor. It meant to them that they were God's chosen people. It meant that they had a God who was not far off, but a God who dwelt with them. It was all kinds of things that gave them stability. It was a building, a house, a house for God. It was a routine, a ritual of sacrifices and prayers and worship that happened day in and day out and year after year after year. And it was people. It was the priests and the Levites and all of their fellow Israelites who came to celebrate the feasts. And so when a Jew came by and saw the noble stones and the offerings, it was more than just bricks and ornaments. It was more than just good architecture and beauty. It was a sign that everything was going according to plan, that they were yet a people, and that they would prosper still. It was a symbol of hope and a future. And so it must have been quite upsetting when Jesus started talking about the stones being thrown down, the coming day when there would not be left one stone upon another, 
What would that mean for the people of Israel? It certainly sounds like a sign of terrible times. If they had no temple to look to, there'd be no sacrifices. There'd be no use for the priesthood. How would they know that everything was okay? Where would they find their stability? Of course, the people of Israel were prone to twisting and contorting God's good gift of the temple. So in Jeremiah, as God was calling the people to repentance and threatening disaster from a foreign army, the people consoled themselves by telling themselves that there was no need for repentance. Because look, the temple, it's still there. They deceived themselves, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Meanwhile, they committed injustice and oppressed the strangers and fatherless and widows, and they did injury to the innocent. They stole and murdered and committed adultery and swore falsely and made offerings to idols. And then they came and stood in the house of God and said, Look, the temple is still here. We're all going to be just fine. The temple was to be a sign of God's presence. It was to be the place where they could find him in his mercy, where they could worship and have their worship received by God and their prayers heard by him. But instead, it became a symbol of their hypocrisy, of their hardened hearts, a veneer of respectability, lip service, while their hearts were far from him. And so the temple would be destroyed. Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians during the time of Jeremiah, and the temple fell. What Jesus and his disciples were looking at in our gospel lesson this morning was a temple rebuilt, a hope renewed. But from all of the conversations that we've heard that Jesus has had with the Pharisees and by the sight of the money changers in the temple, it's clear that Israel had fallen back into its old ways. And so Jesus says, There is coming a day when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And in fact, just a few decades after Jesus died and rose, there was a terrible war in Jerusalem between the Jews and their Roman occupiers, and the temple was destroyed by the the future emperor Titus in the year 70 AD. But Jesus is not just talking about the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. He's not just talking about Jerusalem, because it's not a uniquely Jewish problem. And we, too, are prone to take the, the good gifts of God and turn them into idols. We're prone to take the signs of God's mercy and turn them into symbols of our own hypocrisy. And when they're taken from us, when they're destroyed, when the things that hold our lives together and give us a sense of meaning and stability, when they go away, when those stones are toppled, when our lives crumble, we take it as a sign of something terrible. It's not good news by any stretch of the imagination. Quite the opposite. And the thought of all good things coming to an end makes us tremble. You hear the story of Job, for instance, and you can hardly imagine what it would be like to have seven sons and three daughters and all kinds of sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys and an incredible household and to lose it all, every last bit of it. Much less can you fathom, once it's all gone, to say like Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When Jesus describes the signs of the end, they do not sound 
like the signs of anything good. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. All of that sounds like a sign of terrible times, a sign of disaster, a time of great uncertainty and instability, of insecurity and distress, a time in which there is no sense whatsoever that all will be well, no sense that everything is okay, a time in which nothing is going according to our plan. And yet, listen carefully to what Jesus says. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. When these things begin to take place, they are the sign that your salvation at long last is at hand. That is true whether we're talking about the signs that come before the end of the world, or we're just trying to make sense of our own lives. Take the words of Jesus seriously. When all good things come to an end, when you lose everything you've got, when you're brought low and left unmoored, when the house is gone and the happy occasions are over and the people are no more, then straighten up and raise your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. When the foundations of your life are shaken, when you have nothing firm to hold on to, rejoice, for your one true rock, your Savior, your sure and certain hope is at hand. And when he topples the idols of our lives, when we are afflicted and left wondering which way is up, Jesus would have us cling to him, to find our stability in him, to hold fast to his promises, to look to him for meaning and direction, and to see everything that he does as a sign of God's great mercy toward us. That is not easy to do. It is not easy to let go of the things we love, much less just to imagine it happening. It's not easy to keep our eyes fixed where true riches, where true joys, where eternal blessings are found. It's not easy because the devil would have us misunderstand our present situation. The devil would have us believe that we presently live in green pastures and beside still waters. He would have us believe that there is no valley of the shadow of death. There is no evil. There is no danger to fear. No need for a comforting rod and staff. No need for a shepherd to guide us. The devil would have us believe that we are at peace. That as long as we find some meaning, some comfort, some stability in this life, everything is going to be okay. He loved it when he heard the people of Israel say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. The devil delights our eyes with fleeting pleasures so that we do not see the situation we are in. We are much more like strangers in this world, aliens in a foreign land, combatants stranded behind enemy lines. We are like a city besieged by an enemy army. The enemy is at the gate and the danger is grave and the charge is to stay wakeful and watchful and it's earnest so that we do not fall into the enemy's hands. Picture your life in that way. Luther said that if only we could see how many flaming darts of the devil are pointed at us all the time, we would flee as often as we can to Holy Communion, to the protection of Christ's body and blood. Picture your life 
in that way. And then imagine what it's like for salvation to come, for rescue to arrive. Picture your life as the citizen of a besieged city, and now imagine what it's like for a friendly army to appear. It is the sound of war that you hear. It is the sound of destruction and battle, weapons being unleashed and walls crumbling. It is a terrible sound and terrifying to behold. And to the soul who thought there was peace, it looks like the end of all things, a sign of nothing good. But not for you, for you who recognize the enemy and know your desperate plight. To you, all these signs of destruction, the groaning of creation, the distress of nations, betrayal and terror, loss and grief, to you it is a sign that redemption is at hand, that the grip of the enemy is loosening, that soon his forces will break rank and relief will come pouring through the walls, that soon your enemy will be banished, not just for a moment, not just for temporary peace, but once and for all. Just as Christ once and for all drank the cup of God's wrath on the cross, even so he has destroyed the power of death and bound the strong man Satan so that you, who have been held captive under sin and the fear of death, you may be set free. You may be made whole. You may rejoice to see light and life and salvation in Christ. That is why we focus in these days on the last things, so that you can recognize the signs, so that what the world sees as certain disaster, you may understand as signs of your redemption, so that you know the situation you're in and how spectacular your rescue. That is why Jesus urges you to stay sober and awake, so that you're not terrified so that you don't flee from your redemption, so that you aren't found sleeping in your sin, lulled by a false sense of peace and unfit to escape, so that when you are afflicted and in distress, you don't run from God, but to him, so that when you see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, so that even as you see the world's desolation and the desolation of your own life, you may straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.